Well done. Well done. Everybody all right? That was a bit of energy. We don't always do that. I forgot to press record. You forgot to press record. You're fired. <laughs> you are fired. But it was fun working with you for a little bit. Unbelievable. Oh, that was fun, guys. Thanks so much for doing that. Um, we'll let you see the video. I guess we'll get it up somewhere, um, and we'll shoot it over to Emmanuel. But thank you. Uh, for that and for your continued support of Emmanuel and, and team. So, admissions team, thank you guys for what you're doing. All right, well, hey, let me jump in here. We're going to finish off a series today. I'm looking forward to finishing this series. It's called The Greatest. Um, we're going to continue the fun for a minute, so I have a couple of fun questions for you. Are we ready? We, I mean, it's, we might get overloaded with fun here this morning. Um, this is going to be a quick version of a Would You Rather game, all right? So talk to your neighbor real quick about these questions, and then talk. you're going to give me uh, feedback on this one, all right? So now, for real, would you rather, would you rather be 11 feet tall or 11 inches tall? All right, you got five seconds to talk to your neighbor. You're going to tell it back to me. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, how many are 11 feet? How many are 11 feet? How many are 11 inches? All right, all right, all right, good. I see, I see that hand. Would you rather, same deal, would you rather swim in a pool full of Nutella or a pool full of maple syrup? All right. Five seconds. You got Nutella or maple syrup. Five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. All right. How many of my Nutella people? And maple syrup? All right. I'm, I'm a maple syrup guy on that one. I'm, I'm going that way. All right. Would you rather have a um, fast forward button or a rewind button for your life? Five seconds. Five, four, Three, two, one. Some of you are like, I don't know what a rewind button is because I've never seen that. I think that's happening in the room. How many of you are fast forward? How many of you are rewind? How many of you hate the question? Yeah, okay, I know. All the detail people in the room hate would you rather questions because there's, well, I don't know, it depends on the situation. Like, you're not clear enough. There's a whole lot of things that I can't decide on. I think I get that, but I don't care. Okay, would you, last one, would you rather lose your sight or lose your memory? Ooh, okay, five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one, sight. All right, memory. All right, good one. Neither. Yeah. Hopefully everybody's hand goes up. I know that wasn't a choice. I cheated. That's not fair. Now, you may be wondering, what does this have to do with the morning's message? I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Nothing at all. Nothing at all, at least so far. At least so far. I have one more would you rather question that does have to do with this morning, and here's what it is. Would you rather, and, and talk to each other about this one. It's not, not a huge question. Would you rather buy the cheapest thing as you're going through the store, or the longest lasting thing as you're going through the store? Would you rather buy the cheapest or longest lasting? Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, you can hold that one to yourself for a minute, and some of you are like, well, what does it mean by this? What does it mean by that? I, I don't care about all those details. Okay, so here's the thing. I, uh, ironically, in my house, if you were to come to my house, I have, the che I have two different kinds of hoses in my home. In the, the backyard was a time in my life where I'm like, I just need to buy a cheap hoses. I need to get the job done. It is constantly kinking. Now, at this point in my life, I'm like, I want to get a longer lasting hose, and I'm willing to spend a little bit more, and the one in the front doesn't kink nearly as much at all. And so every time, and, here's, and you know this, 
you always pay for it, either on the front end or the back end. <laughs> I'm either going to pay for it on the back end if I get the cheapest one, or I'm going to pay more for it on the front end if I get the better one. It just depends on when you want to pay for it and what currency you want to use, if you understand what I'm saying, right? And for many of us, if I were to ask this question about how we spend our lives, like the work of our hands, would I rather that the work of my hands be considered the, the cheapest thing that I can do or the longest lasting thing that I can do? Well, I mean, uh, anybody pretty much would say, well, I would not want my work to be the, the cheapest. Depends on my boss and how I'm feeling about him for the day. But on the whole, I would rather have the work of my hands be the longest lasting, which is fair. But you know that if you're going to get the longest lasting thing, it's going to cost you more up front, right? Now, if I were to ask this question about how you view your relationships, would you rather have the relational quality of your relationships be considered the cheapest version of relationships you can get or the longest lasting version of relationships you can get? And if I ask you that question, of course, the answer would probably be, well, I want the longest lasting version of relationships you can get. Fair point. But again, the principle holds. If you want that, it's going to cost you a little bit more up front. And in practice, many of our relationships, I think if we're honest, vacillate or go back and forth between a cheap version and a long-lasting version. And there's been too much, in my opinion, in our world of the cheap version of relationships. We don't pay much to get into it. We don't sacrifice much. It doesn't cost us much. Then on the back end, we're willing to walk away from it Call someone now who was a friend an enemy, feel betrayal and not be able to recover from that. And we pay for it on the back end. Or on the front end, we can say, what if there's something that I can or should be doing to make every relationship that I approach longer lasting and not just the cheapest way to get into this? This morning, I want to make this case, and I want to try to make it from Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians. I want to try to make this case that love is the greatest thing that you can pursue now and forever. Love is the greatest thing that you can pursue in your relationships, in a relationship with God as your Heavenly Father, both now and, when I say forever, I mean eternal forever. Now, let me take you to a passage of Scripture to try to back up some of this and make some sense of where I'm going. So we've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to invite you to turn there in your Bible if you have a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, zero problem. There's a Bible in the chair near you. That is our gift to you if you don't own one. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 8, is where we are. Um, that is like the second two-thirds of your Bible is where 1 Corinthians 13 is. And we're going to go verses 8 to 13 here, all right? And as we're talking about love, just as you're turning there, just a reminder how I'm defining love in this series. When I say love, what I'm talking about here, especially is this idea of showing warm regard and interest in the people who are around us. A warm regard and interest, a warm regard and interest, even to those who are very, very different than me. Now, here's what Paul says about that. Again, he's writing, again, this, this chapter shows up a lot at weddings. He's not writing to a wedding. He's writing to a church. He's talking to the church about what love looks like, especially on the heels of spiritual gifts, which he talked about in chapter 12. So he says this, I'm going to read all of the verses for the morning and come back and comment on them. He writes it this way, love, verse 8, never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled, and where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a, re we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. All right, let's talk about this, beginning at verse 8. I'm going to kind of go verse by verse here. Love never fails, he writes. Look at that verse again. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. We have not read it here um, the previous chapter, uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, but Paul is writing in chapter 12 to a group of people trying to help them understand how spiritual gifts work in the church. And if you've been around a church long enough, you know that sometimes certain gifts can be valued more than others, or certain people and their strengths can be valued more than others. Some wish they had the gift of hospitality, some wish they had the gift of mercy, some wish they had the gift of teaching. We can look at each other and be like, I wish that I were like you. I wish I were like you, and you wish you were like this person, you know, whatever you may, may call it. And at the same time, certain gifts can be valued and elevated above other people. That's just the way it works. We can start to respect in communities people who have more public gifts and people who have more private gifts. That's not necessarily a good thing, that's just a thing, and we've all experienced that, right? So what we see here is he's saying, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Well, when will they cease? Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. When there is knowledge, it will pass away. What he's saying here, by the way, this idea of knowledge is this idea of actually being able to know or discern what it is that God wants you to do. And you know people like that. He's saying any, any prophetic utterances, any visions or pictures of the future, any speaking in tongues or miraculous signs like that, where there's knowledge, even understanding what, what God will do, it will all pass away. Well, what does that mean? So what he's saying is all the gifts that you currently have, as you look around your community, look around your community of faith, of all the things that are going really well, people are doing amazing things. They seem to be connecting to God in brand new ways. And by the way, this is Remember, brand new for the church. <laughs> They've never had this before. How is it that we're to look at one another? He says, all this is actually going to go away. It's going to cease. Verse 9. He says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part, he says, disappears. All right, so what in the world is happening here? He's like, we are just kind of in part understanding what's happening. Completeness. What does that mean? He says, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. There's debate about what this means. My best understanding about what this means is that he's talking about the return of Christ. This makes the most sense to me, that when Christ returns, then what need will there be anymore for someone to prophesy about what God or Christ will do? What need will there be to speak in tongues anymore? And what need will there be for knowledge, if you will, in the sense of understanding what God wants, because he will be here. There will no longer be a, a need for these gifts. The gifts will cease because God himself will be present and we will be with him. It's not unlike the other day we were playing a um, Catan at home. Some of you are Catan fans or settlers of Catan, if you're an older version. Yep, need to settle down over here. And I was losing and grumpy and I had a headache. And um, my wife was winning, which I always support my wife winning everything all the time without hesitation. That's, that's mostly not true. Anyway, 
So here's the deal. Um, my wife was next to me and my daughter was across the table. And um, it was very evident that my wife was going to win. In other words, it was very evident that completeness was about to happen. Completeness is about to come. I'm sitting at five points, which is not good. She's sitting at nine, about to get to ten. My daughter, my daughter is sitting at, I don't know, I think you had negative five at that point. <clears throat> you were punished for your bad behavior. Anyway, it was clear that we weren't going to win, and so it was my daughter's turn, and we, like, I was willing to trade with her because it doesn't matter. Like, sure, you need something else? Sure, you'll get, a, get an extra point. What does it matter? What does it matter if you end the game with eight points and I end with five? Ten is about to happen. Right? I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't matter if you have more toys at the end if we all end up in the same place. And this is kind of what he's saying. When completeness comes, when the completeness comes, like it doesn't matter if you're speaking in tongues. It doesn't matter if you have the gift of mercy. It doesn't matter if you have a public gift or not. It doesn't matter about those things because when Christ comes, that's, I mean, the end is coming. Like, you don't need that anymore. So don't right now just see the game in part and be like, oh, they have seven points and I only have five. Like, ten's coming is what Paul's saying. And keep this in mind as we relate to one another. Karl Barth put it this way. He said, when the sun rises, all the lights are extinguished. And I think that's what he's saying. And so Paul goes on, then he gets a little personal to me, verse 11. He's like, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Well, when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Think about this for a minute in context. Here's what I think he's saying. In other words, it's childish to value people based on their perceived or real gifts. That's what children do. You want to be a real man? You want to be a real adult? Grow up. And put people in light of Christ's return. Grow up. Then he starts to offend me personally. You call me a child, Paul? He's like, I might be. It is childish. As a child, I got excited about lollipops and 25 cents under my pillow when the tooth fairy came. As a grown man, I don't get quite as excited about lollipops and 25 cents under my pillow. In fact, I'd wonder who in the world was in my room putting 25 cents under my pillow. Right? And so we all have that. And so what he's saying is, he's like, listen, it's childish to look around our community and look around our community of faith and look around people who believe very differently than us about non-essential issues and start valuing them higher or lesser based on how we're put together, on our wirings, on our gifts, on our spiritual gifts, on our abilities. On our... So that's it's childish. There's a bigger picture coming when Christ returns. <laughs> what does it matter? If they could do things that you never could do, what does that matter? Then he goes on. He goes on. For now, verse 12, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I did not realize this, but in my study, I came to understand that Corinth where Paul was, the city where Paul was writing this to, was known as a producer of some of the finest bronze mirrors in antiquity. And so he's speaking to a, a city in which they're used to creating these bronze mirrors that you'd look at, and it was a kind of a, 
a fine thing for Corinth. And he's kind of saying, now we see only as in a reflection, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so as I think about this, it's like this picture of what I'm seeing around me is a little bit warped. It's a li- it, it seems clear, like I can understand the landscape, but it's a little warped. I can see in a mirror, but it's a little rough. And I, I don't know about you, but here's what I see in a mirror when I look around um, a community and how we value people and how we love or don't love certain people. One of the things that I've come to understand, and you may have heard this phrase, it's all about who you know. Anyone ever hear that before? It's all about who you know. Uh, I was at the Peckway Valley Spring Fling on Friday, it was, um, most of there for the food, and I uh, got a chicken barbecue, which was good. I came to the um, chicken barbecue tent at the end of the night, um, and I happened to know um, some people in that tent. There was about six or eight people in that tent. Uh, there was a couple people in leadership at Penquay Valley and other people that I had no idea who in the world they were. And as I began talking to the, the couple people that I knew, the one guy said, would you like some extra chicken barbecue? I mean, if you're twisting my arm, sure, I'll take some. And I realized as I'm driving away from that, when I walked up to that space, I immediately valued the people that I knew and the people who had power more than I did the people who I didn't know at all. It's about who you know, and we can play the game, and I can play it instinctively without realizing it. It's going to be better for you if you know the people with power in this world. Get to know your teachers. Get to know your administration. Get to know the people who lead in your businesses. Become friends with the people who are movers and shakers in this world because this is where power is located. And by the way, we don't say this, but what comes along with it is you now have permission not to see or care about those people that we deem to be invaluable. Oh, the other extras in the tent, I don't know who they were. I don't know their names. I didn't even ask them. I didn't even really care because I got my chicken barbecue. And Paul is saying, we see this in a mirror dimly because it seems wise to do that. It's all about who you know. It's also about who you can avoid and who you can embrace, and who you can get away from. And then we set up in our society a, a way to, to gain power, to find influence in which we're securing relationships with some and being willing to let others go to the side. And Paul says, anyway, you're, you're looking in a mirror dimly. You will know, be known fully at some point. And then he goes on in verse 13 and puts it this way to finish it up. He says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And I ask myself the question, well, why, why is love the greatest? Why isn't faith the greatest? I think faith is pretty good, don't you? I mean, why isn't hope the greatest? Why are you just picking on love? I mean, why can't the others be great? Because I don't know about you, but there are times when love seems good, but also hope seems pretty great, and, and so does faith. And I guess here's what I've come to terms with, that if I have faith in you that you're going to, let's say you're taking me out to lunch and you say, I'm going to buy you some lunch. If, if we go out to lunch today and you buy my lunch, I had faith in your word. Once you have bought me my lunch, the object of my faith has been realized. Same for hope. Hope has been realized. And so as I think about what Paul is saying here, what he's saying is when Christ returns in the completeness, the object of our faith and the focus of our hope will be realized. 
There will almost not need to be any more faith or hope because Christ will be here. <laughs> you understand that? But he's saying love will continue. This is why it's great that it is both great now and forever. I can continue to love you and to love Christ for eternity, but I no longer need to exercise a kind of faith or hope that I need to now. And the, which is why I make the case at the beginning of this message that the greatest thing, that love is the greatest thing that you can pursue both now and forever. And this is why I think Paul says this is the greatest. <laughs> love is the greatest. If you want to get practice of what you'll be doing in eternity, love well now. Now, I want to make this series a little more gritty, if I can, uh, a little more personal. I kind of want to bring it down a little bit. I want to tell you a story to do that and then ask a couple questions on the back end. I want to tell you a story about a guy named Daryl Davis. Uh, I don't know if you all know Daryl. That's all right if you don't. I didn't know him until I did some work in this, preparing for this. Daryl Davis, here he is up here. And um, uh, Dan White, in his book, Love Over Fear, tells a story of Daryl Davis. I'm going to read a part of that story here to you, if you don't mind. I mean, I guess even if you do mind, I'm still going to read it, but I'm going to read the story from Daryl, from Dan. So Dan writes, he said, there are extraordinary stories of people who are crossing the void to practice affection toward enemies. People who are unloved or unlovable, we think. They are not the most popular of stories to tell because they don't fit our side-taking, polarizing times. And Daryl Davis has lived into enemy love for 30 years. His home is filled with memories of his relational work, spending time with the Ku Klux Klan. Daryl is a descendant of slaves and chose to cross the divide to win over the hearts of those within the white supremacist organization. He knows that deep within the soul of the KKK is a fear that is purely focused on his elimination. Yet this does not deter Daryl. It has actually compelled him to pursue ongoing conversation with grand dragons and imperial wizards. Sometimes he is the first African-American they have ever talked to. Hope, not hates, percolates within Daryl after 30 years of meeting with enemies. You'd think his hopeful outlook is delusional if not for a peek into his bedroom closet. The shocking symbols of transformation, KKK robes from those who have left behind the Klan are spilling out. Every time he inspires a white man to quit the Ku Klux Klan, they surrender their garb to him. It's a powerful sign of the fruitfulness of Daryl's love work. His work is not marked by tossing insults or even winning verbal shouting matches, but by relational presence with them, sitting with them, eating with them, and showing them a bit of affection. Daryl Davis reaches out to Billy Snuffer, extending his hand. Billy is a, prominent, a proponent of the Confederate South who thinks that mixing of races is horrible for the country. These small exchanges seem inconsequential, but they have world-altering significance. Daryl has mastered the art of listening Make eye contact, sit still, ask questions, don't interrupt, stay curious. For change to happen, Daryl believes you must move beyond side-taking and toward affection, even in the face of something as vile as white supremacy. He showed up at court to be with Billy. Billy had fired a gun into the air near a school in Charlottesville, if you remember that event a couple years ago, during a rally against taking down a Confederate monument. The judge was going to sentence him harshly, but Daryl had an out-of-the-box idea he proposed to the judge that Snuffer meet with him for a regular conversation to hear about the people he sees as inferior. Daryl often tries to explain his work, but is repeatedly met with repulsion from both sides. He tells how he reaches for common ground, how he sits, listens, and extends kindness, but this type of enemy love angers the polarized human heart. 
He's been officially derided by members of the NAACP and been spat on by members from Unite the Right. Darrell embodies Martin Luther King Jr.'s profound words to both the left and the right. I am convinced, Luther says, that men hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other. And they don't communicate with each other because they are separated from each other. Can you imagine what it would feel like to be Daryl Davis for a minute? To sit down across the table from someone in the Ku Klux Klan. What would be the opening conversation there? What would you feel like? Do you ever feel like if you were to actually sit and listen to your enemies, that you might get their stink on you? That you might be guilty by association? The people in your other friend group will wonder, what's wrong with you? Why are you hanging out with them? I would feel that way. Sometimes we create monsters of people because of the fear that we have for them. And yet I want to ask you this question as Darryl, think about Daryl's story. I'm going to ask you this question in just a moment. What Daryl has done for me is brought an idea down to where the rubber meets the road. He sits, he listens, and he shows kindness. Can you imagine what would happen in our world if the most polarizing behaviors that we see over and over again, if we, if you and me, could sit, listen, stay curious, show kindness? This is how Daryl brings enemy love down to him. It's not rocket science. It's just hard. Which brings me back to where we started. Would you rather buy the cheapest thing or the longest lasting thing? Because if you want to buy the cheapest version of love that you can get, then what Jesus says is, Love your friends. <laughs> Basically, he says, everybody does that. Everybody does that. Love the people who are like you. Everybody does that. That, friends, is the cheapest and easiest version of love there is. And so if you like cheap things because they don't cost you as much, that's the cheapest version of love that exists. But you know, and I know, that the hose will kink down the line, and that you and I will both pay for what we choose not to pay for early. And the hardest version of love that exists is this enemy love that puts at the center this compulsion from Christ who died for me and died for you and says that kind of love that I need to pursue I'm going to sit I'm going to listen I'm going to show kindness to you which is why I say that I think love is the greatest thing that you can pursue both now and forever in fact I would ask this question what do you think is greater 
What's greater? So Paul says is of all these things, three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love because you will be loving forever. So may as well, may as well get started now, even as hard as it may be. So friends, the reason for me in doing this series is just because I long for this. And I'm tired. I'm tired of the hate. I'm tired of the polarization. I'm tired of the judgment. And I long to see the love of Christ in me and to an increasing measure in all of us as we seek the best that we can to follow Christ and what he has done for us. And if I'm honest, some days, yeah, I'd rather buy the cheap hose. But I know what's going to be better for me is to pay more now for a better product in the long term. And so let me just encourage you, not rocket science, let me just encourage you to sit, to listen, to stay curious, to give patience and kindness and soften our judgment. Because love, as Paul writes here in verse 8, that, that never fails, and it never will. Guys, thanks for tracking me in this series. Looking forward to the next one. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us today to take courage on what is simple but yet hard. It is hard. It is hard to pay the cost of enemy love now. It's hard to be willing to part with a part of us that feels like we're right, they're wrong, I can't sit with them, I can't be curious about their position, to feel stronger in my separation from. So Father, I pray that you would help us as people of faith who try to follow Christ, that we would walk in the steps of Christ who died for us while we were still in sin and apart from him. And even in the steps of Daryl Davis, makes an incredibly hard decision to sit across the table from people who would prefer that he would be dead. Father, help us to remember that love never fails. And this is such a hard thing. Relationships are so complicated and nuanced. I pray that you would give us the courage to have good conversations about how best to step into this, and even simply to sit, to listen, to be curious, to show love over fear. We love you, in Jesus' name we pray.